This week, I'm talking to Wendy Plum. She is the Assistant Director of Donor Engagement at Samaritans. She shares a fascinating story of working within a variety of industries, finding her purpose and living her values through her work, and gives us a great insight into how you can get to the top, but also work part-time. Welcome to Wendy Plum, joining me today in the studio for another episode of Career Stories from the Field. Welcome, Wendy. Oh, hello, Penny. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) So let's just start. Do you want to introduce what you do, who you work for, what your job title is? Just give us a bit of a flavour of your job. Yeah, okay. I'm the Assistant Director of Donor Engagement at Samaritans. And what that means, um, I guess my role is about how we can inspire our potential supporters and current supporters to um, stand side by side with Samaritans and take action. So that could be donations, running the marathon, sharing voice on social media. And this support means that We can work together with our supporters to make sure that fewer people die by suicide. And, you know, for us, it's just hugely important to be continually connected with our supporters, whether or not they're taking action today, because actually in in the future, we'll we'll need them still and um, need to have that power of of a whole big community behind Samaritans. Um, So I guess, I don't know what that, do you want to know what that means on a day-to-day level or... In terms of I'd love day, to know what that what means on a day-to-day level. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did I do today? So I woke up at six thirty today. I have the same routine every day, and so we're hybrid. We're hybrid working at Samaritans. So I'm in the office a day a week. Um, I do a job share, so I work two two and a half days a week, and Kizzy, my job share partner, works three days a week. So every hour counts, and um, and the I'm quite a routine-based person as well. So I'll, I'll get up at six thirty, sort my life out, have a hot drink, walk around the garden, do my to-do list. Then the kids get up, and then as long as my head's all sorted before that noise happens, and then get them out to wherever they need to go to. Um, but the and then gen, the general flow of my day it does split. Sometimes it's um, quite dominated by check-ins on big projects and big programs I'm working on. So. Samaritans is um, charity of the year uh, for 2024 for the London Marathon. We've got a great team in community events and across the organisation working on that. So that's quite a big, big project which needs steering and um, working with the teams on. But also some really important ones like data clients and, and governance and working with the data team and data protection team on ensuring that uh, where we're at on processes and ways of working and systems to make sure that our data protects and meets meets the standards. There's lots of um, one-to-one catch-ups with um, people in the team um, just to check in on how things are going. And this can be about budgets. It can be about team management, people management, or the latest campaigns. And I also work closely with the wider leadership team in external engagement, which is our directorate, and across Samaritans to look at how we can better join up plans and work better together and be more inclusive as well as a directorate and, and be more connected and help our teams connect a lot better than um, perhaps we're doing at the moment as well. So 
it's varied and it's been varied for the last five five years which is why I still love it because it feels like a new job every so often as well as new bits that I get bet. added on and new challenges that that appear as well as huge opportunities as well so it's it's good wow that that sounds really broad really interesting and there you are working two and a half days a week doing this so and at a director level so I think that's fantastic you know you're you're, you're showcasing that you can still have a really senior role have a lot of influence and not work full time how how easy was it to achieve that at Samaritans the Samaritans are a great organization in terms of openness to flexible working. So, and I've got a very supportive boss as well. And so that it was easy to achieve in terms of get the case across and, um, and then get it tested. And it was only when that started that people across my networks were saying, Oh, wow, have you, you know, have you managed to, you know, get that? Because it doesn't now looking back, it doesn't happen so often at, a senior level a job share and it's few and far between so I'm incredibly lucky to be doing doing it this way and working this way but we did have to trial it and it was quite hard actually to, to be honest in terms of not getting it across the line but more the actually what's the best way it works for the team but for the organization and also for me as well and there's always, I think, at, at the beginning, it was very much um, I wanted to prove it worked and really kind of work any way possible to make it work and maybe not the most effective way possible as well. And it, it has also evolved. <laughs> well, it's trial and error. Yes, trial and error. It started off, actually, I started off as a two and a half day succumbent out of this role, which which was my permanent role, um, into a strategy role. So that, that was fine and it kind of worked okay. But then um, there was... Um, someone who was in the interim looking after the wider team and that work there, it was really hard to shut that off, know that that's still going, you know, my, my normal job was still going on in the background and I'm working on um, something different. So that, that was quite hard. And then coming back into it still, harder still to then try and do the actual job share with a new person. Um, and then Kizzy joined in January and we've been spending the last six months trying to work it out as well we have crossover days we have Tuesday and Wednesday crossover days we uh, we get a couple a uh, few hours in on Wednesday to do an actual physical catch-up on what's happened in the last week we're um, I'm really lucky because I think our styles complement each other but we are quite different as well so the teams see the different benefit from that and they're getting two brains, theoretically two brains rather than one. So yes. <laughs> that's great. And and I, I've got I'm in a really unique position that I've always got a sounding board as well with Kizzy. And um, um, whereas before you, I'd, I'd be kind of sitting there first, sounding off in my own think space before um, you know before actually testing the idea or testing the thought. I've now got someone immediately that I can just call up and go what do you think about this <laughs> you know something small or or big as well Amazing. so yeah so it is great it's having uh, a genuine genuine work wife yeah there <laughs> so yeah, yes really absolutely <laughs> there's many bonuses aren't there of, of having job share and just that that very point that you've actually got that that person to bounce ideas off and then come together as one to to deliver I know who Samaritans are. I think it is a household name. But for those people 
that are listening that might not know exactly what Samaritans do, please do give us an overview. Yeah, Samaritans are a really unique um, charity and organisation and we're here to make sure that fewer people die by suicide. We're unique. We have over 22,000 volunteers who are there 24-7, seven days a week throughout the year so that anyone who's struggling to cope can get in contact, can phone us um, and speak to someone in uh, when, when they're struggling. We're unique in that we're the only organization that does it on this scale. It's a human need to be able to to be able to reach out to someone. And it's not because you don't have people sometimes, you might, you have lots of people around you, but not to be able to share things that you do, you know, you, you want to share. And so we're here for prevention, suicide prevention and 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 at that moment a crisis as well. And there's a real need to do it. Every ten, every ten seconds, someone calls us, and you know, and and we're here. Um, and so, what we do in the income team, as part of the external engagement directorate, is raise the money to fund the service, to help train and um, our volunteers, to help keep the lights on, and um, make sure that we can be there. So, I think you know that whole connection to the cause and my personal connection in terms of the values is so strong and um five years being here has been gone by so so quickly and actually when you look at the whole uh my our colleagues everyone you know that it's very few and far you know the majority of people have that strong commitment personal motivation um which is a massive plus but it can also be quite hampering, I think, as well, you know, in that you want to do mm, as sure. many hours as you can and work, you know, as, as hard as you can. And so, you know, that whole piece around trying to get the balance right is, is hard. And also, I think when we know that our volunteers are dedicating their own time as well and um, their lives to um, being there, hugely, we're hugely appreciative of that and want to make sure we're doing our best as a start, you know, um, for Samaritans as well. What an incredible um, organisation! Yeah, it, it it is. It's it's yeah. It's it's an incredible organisation, and um, the you know everyone that you meet, they have some awareness on on what we do, but not not on everything. And um, there's still a lot of education to be done. I think that people do see us as actually just that crisis phone line, but there's so much work that goes on in prevention in them. Um, We've got a great partnership with Network Rail um, and we have work in prisons as well. And it's just amazing what we do and what you know, the reach that we have. And um, we've recently, uh, we had Flackstock Festival this weekend and our festival branch volunteers were out there for outreach. And so it's wide ranging, um, the work that we do. And from the awareness and prevention piece through to that crisis, the cr- crisis work that we do is um, all hugely um, important hugely human and the core of it is human connection for us it's just that actually everyone should be able to connect to someone else absolutely wow it's really extensive it's more more than I realized actually so amazing organization you talk about values you talk about purpose how important is having purpose in your job to you 
hugely. And I think I didn't realise that until later on, really. I've always, I think with purpose, actually with every job that I've had, it's got closer and closer and closer. And it's not, I haven't mapped it out. It, It naturally happened. I've always been, in terms of the job role that I do, I've always got to enjoy it, be passionate about it and be be good to some extent at it as well. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and also, I think there's always always been something around um, having the opportunity to learn and um, be, I've always liked feeling uncomfortable in my space. And so the jobs that I've done have been different sectors, although similar in discipline and role. Um, so it's always been about answering questions on what do our supporters need and want? How's the market changing on that? Are we doing the best that we can with our people, skills, processes to um, capitalise on all these opportunities to better meet and exceed the expectations of our customers or supporters? And that's always been the core of the role. Um, but I've moved around sectors doing similar that similar role because I love the challenge of learning new and but being able to bring and the the kind of comfort and expertise into a new place but also work with different types of people as well but I think that purpose and values piece when I look back at the journey has been first it was connected by the role and, and the job that I was doing I think in my early years maybe in the 20s it was about success was being measured on how I was moving up the organization and how is you know and and actually that was quite a big thing for me moving up and being you know feeling that I was recognized in that way but then as I've as as I've moved further on in my career it has been more around um, just making sure that I can still work in roles which can help which where I can creatively work with what I know and the expertise that I have and apply that and great people as well makes a huge difference um you're working like most of the hours of your life here and so you'd like exactly. you know, to get out of bed you know get out of bed and know that you're working with a bunch of brilliant people who are mostly brought in by the same goals and and purpose as well is hugely important and really lucky to have that in my team my boss and actually the the organization as well so the people what I do but yeah the alignment to the values and purpose I think even when I was working at British Gas and and that was um, early on in my career seven seven years as head of um, customer experience and insight there hugely different to Samaritans but actually they they, I was still totally glued by and the fact that they wanted to do the best for their supporters and um, had that ambition as well on, on doing the best and being number one in the sector. And so I think that, that values, purpose, peace um, was, is, was the thing that kept me there for seven years. And then I moved on to um, Holoquins Rugby Club as the customer experience director there. That was hugely char- challenging and a huge step up in a totally different environment. But again, you know, that ambition that they had there around actually we want to be a leading club that creates the best customer supporter experience um, for our supporters. 
We've got this amazing support at an, a national um, England level. We want to convert that to get more club support at a Harlequins level and the fun around that. And also I love rug- rugby as well. You know, that kind of personal oh, alignment <laughs> where I grew up in Twickenham and, you know, and love rugby and uh, Harlequins was my club. And so I was like, yay, this, this is great. Oh, um, perfect. <laughs> But then actually, do you know what? I think there's something about keeping your hobbies separate to, to your job and just enjoying your hobbies as, as your hobbies <laughs> and watching rugby as rugby rather than being involved on a match day in the whole kind of uh, yes. the whole setup of a match day and, and knowing the small detail behind the everyday life and movements of a supporter. Um, you just want to be a supporter yourself, I think, after a while. Exactly. Um, you just get uh, out in the stand. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um and you know, I went on maternity leave with uh, when I was due to have Joe and uh, at Harlequins, and I think I was about five years in. And it gave me time to reflect and go, what what do I really want to do? And I used that time to just map out what is it around my career that I've really, really loved, and what do I want to do next. And I, that was when I knew that I actually want to still be doing something that is totally challenging, learning new, using my skills. But there's something, I think, in me about creating new paths or new, new change for the better. But I also wanted that whole leaving at whatever time you're leaving work and feeling that you've made a real big difference to people's lives. And so whilst... At British Gas, it was um, all about the ambition of being actually we're going to be the best in the sector. And at Harlequins, it was very much, I love rugby. I want everyone to enjoy it. I want everyone to feel that this is their best match day experience. Actually, there was something missing there still. And, and so the piece that was missing for me was, how am I making a genuine difference to people's lives? And I th- got to a place where I thought I'm going to move to a social enterprise and use my skills in in a social enterprise type environment because I was quite clouded by and I felt that big charities were wrapped up in red tape and this was just a um, um, there was no kind of real basis for it but I just felt that actually it'd be quite slow moving working in a big charity yeah but then my friend had forwarded me this the job at Samaritans and and at the time she said oh no you're looking for something new so I looked at it and thought, actually, this is ticking, I don't know, 70% of what I know. There's 30% of an unknown there, which I've never done before, but I'm sure I can work it out. And I'll go for it and apply for the job and uh, see what happens. And I got it. <laughs> so, Amazing. Um, yeah, so there was, you know, that 30% is really important to me in that, actually, I'm really excited by learning a new sector, but I haven't worked, you know, this way before. There are elements of the role. Um, uh, I mean, when you enter the charity space, the acronyms are massive and just, yeah, there's, there's a whole new language to it. And also the culture is quite different as well. And you've, and I was very, very conscious about trying to marry and respect the culture at Samaritan's having come from a commercial background which is very results driven and and goal orientated and very kind of deadline driven and you know as well and um um, but also had a lot more resources than 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 Samaritans um has got as well so that huge differences there 
I'm, I'm so so interesting. And do you know I I work with a lot of people that is uh, they've spent years in the commercial world or in the corporate world, and they go you know next step I I want to I want to transfer into transition into um, the the not for profit or charity space. What would you say the main cultural differences are? You've mentioned a couple, but Give us a give us a, a a bit of a deeper flavor of what that means. It's about creatively. It's the pace. I think it's you in your head have a solution on how you can solve that problem over there because you feel that you've done it. You know, five or six times as in a different setting. It's being. I think for me, it was. I started out a bit more gung-ho into why have, why don't you do things you know in why haven't you done this or tried this have you ever tried that and here's the person coming in with all these new ideas and really crippling the team with um and and that kind of me saying why don't you do it this way feeling like you're doing it the wrong way and not taking the time in the first six months to work out actually there's been a history behind why one there's something around all the processes and, and the um, have had to be in a certain way in the charity sector because of the compliance levels that, that we have in, in the sector, making sure that we do meet um, fundra- fundraising regulatory standards, GDPR and data protection um, is um, you know, across every sector as well, but also have a responsibility to make sure that we're raising funds and using funds in the right way. So we have to connect the dots with the whole organization in if we raise over 20 million, how are we going to be using that you know, 20 million a year? And and as a huge responsibility um, to make sure that we are doing the best for the service and for our callers, as well as the best for our donors and our supporters as well. And so what that means, I guess, is that one, it's a bit, it's, it's complex in terms of the processes and unpicking what is absolutely important and um, what is actually you could still do it in a different way. But also there's also something about, I think, um, change fatigue as well in the sector um, because I think it's been through different stages of evolution and talking about fundraising in particular, where actually everything was offline and online happened, digital happened. Actually, we've got to scramble to kind of keep ahead of it, but without the same resources as the commercial sector. Um, and so there's lots of evolution of change that you have to, you can't jump straight into that you have to prepare for. And um, change is a constant, but actually to get the team behind it, to understand what way works best for us as an organization and sector as well, um, to gather. And what is amazing about this sector is the best practice share. I think that was the one huge difference when I joined the sector. In any, in all the other environments I've been in, and I've worked before British Gas in management consultancy and worked with telecoms and finance, and finance as well. They're hugely competitive, and um, and whilst you might have best practice share, you won't be sharing the nuts and bolts of actually how you got to the place you got to. Or um, whereas we're so open with sharing because everyone is in that same position of um, being resource tight and having to use every. every pound that is donated 
to make sure that we do have a trail and prove that we're using that pound in a responsible way. We do share and and it's great. I learned so much from um, my sector colleagues and still keep in touch and a good relate. You know, yeah, really good um, place to bounce off ideas and to kind of go, why, why isn't it working this way? As well as the teams at Samaritans and we've got a mix of people who've been here for a long time and, and very new people who've come in from um, other organisations. So it's it's not protecting heritage. It's it's appreciating that you're not the only person. The solutions just because you've you've come from a way of where you've, you've seen it work in a different way, and also the volunteer side of the organisation, I think makes it hugely special as well. So communicating and being able to communicate and engage. All the different people, our donors and supporters, our teams working on um, our campaigns and also get the sounding board of our volunteers as well and engage volunteers early on in in our work is part of that pace as well and, and trying to build that in. Yeah, so it is and maybe it's not as different if you work in a, a commercial sector where it's, you know, lots of different teams and you're trying to break down silos but it's it was um yeah I think it took me it took me really more than it took me a year to kind of get under the skin really of of everything and um visiting branches um, where our volunteers were to really get close to who our callers are and um, why they're calling and and understand how we do inspire our supporters with our call with our stories as well and I think the stories and protecting those stories and making sure that they're authentic and telling stories in the right way is quite different as well to um, marketing at uh, British Gas or at Harlequin's Rugby Club where it's, oh, gosh, yeah. it's quite a formulaic way of marketing. But actually the stories piece at an organisation like Samaritans is um, it's hugely important. We've got to tell it sensitively and in a, as real way with real voices as we can um, and to inspire that support, but also be totally genuine as well to the cause that we are. Really complex. Yeah. And I think people don't realise how complex working within a charity is. There's so many different factors to consider, aren't there, which are, is very different to, to the commercial world. If you, like Wendy, have commitments outside work, but still want to be successful in your career, there is no reason to give one up for the other. Everyone, no matter what their role, has the right to ask for flexible working. Since COVID, this has become far more acceptable and employers are certainly up for the discussion. To help you in your proposal, make sure you've identified exactly how you think the change in circumstances will work. Map out your responsibilities and outputs and articulate how and when they will be executed. An employer has to be fully convinced it'll work before trialling, so give it as much thought as you can. Too many highly successful people opt out of work because they don't think an employer would enable them to balance their work and life. If you make a good case, then you should get a favourable response. Now, back to Wendy. So you've talked about British Gas, you've talked about Harlequins, and now you've mentioned some management consulting. So give us a whistle-stop tour of your career to date. So (laughs) how did you get to this position? (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, how did I? Yeah, how did I get here? Oh, good question. <laughs> Do you know, what? I, um, <laughs> I, what did I at university? I studied psych, um, psychology and business degree. It was a combined honors, so it was seventy um, percent of the psychology course and seventy percent of the business economics course as well, and then joined up together. Now, do you know what? If I'm looking back, what would I have changed? You know, I didn't have enough money when I graduated to do a straight clinical psychology course. That would have been, so I did a four-year sandwich degree. So I did a year out working in industry, you know, accumulated the debts. And um, and it would have been another, I think it's another three years to do the clinical course in psychology but maybe yeah, another so two years of working as an assistant psychologist somewhere and getting the experience that's competitive so it's long and you you've got to be able to afford to be working at kind of minimum not minimum wage but very you know and low low income levels to and fund yourself through that there's a whole bigger question around inclusivity in clinic, you know, to get get onto a course like that. And I'm sure people are talking about it elsewhere. Right. And so actually, when I graduated, I didn't need to pay off my debts. But, you know, I think Aston was a brilliant place because you had to do that one year out in industry in your third year. And so you came back having worked for a year, a year placement. I did a placement in a utilities, um, Midland, what was Midlands Electricity at the time, which is now, uh, which turned into NPower. And I did a year placement where I rotated in finance, PR and marketing operations. And, and it was great. But when you came back, it glued together that ac- the academic side with real real working. And you kind real of life. got a sense of, mm. yeah, real life. You got a sense of what you were good at. But in that final year, and you have all this kind of cohort of people who've done that and realizing actually the real world of work is, is quite competitive. When we get out and, and try and kind of find a job, you know, everyone's looking for similar things, etc. And there were all these kind of graduate programs. So I had this whole thing around, um, I want to work still. I love psychology and that's always been my passion. That's why I wanted to take it as a part of the degree. But I I'll be honest business was the part which made me think actually if I wanted to earn any money and in my in that time success equated with money um I needed to do something which was commercial as well and how do I glue that together and so there were there were we had careers fairs coming to university and all these kind of big consultancy firms coming in with their graduate jobs and I was I was accepted on a large graduate program but there was um with that organization something had happened um in they they had to break that organization apart and then they pulled the graduate program in that time so i was left without certainty of a of that graduate job when i graduated and applied in lots of other places and there was a management consultancy which was smaller taking on a smaller cohort of um graduates only only like five less less than that and um and that was EA Consulting. And so I joined it. And yeah. the thing around working in a smaller organization is that you're hands-on straight away. So I was doing everything, like, you know, making the tea, doing, you know, <laughs> cold calling, uh, you know, actually, and then doing yeah. um, training as well. And, um, yeah, ev- you know, everything. And I learned so much um, in those couple of years. 
And they had, I think, because it was small and they knew you and you knew you knew pretty much everyone who worked there, um, they were willing to take, you know, um, take me out on client meets and work on client work from very early on. But I absolutely, and in those early days, like, what I, you know, I knew nothing, you know, I was very kind of out of my depth. And I remember thinking, really surface level, like, I must dress in a certain way to go to a client meeting and look the part, at least, if yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I can't act the part. Um, but I had loads of great role models, you know, during that time. Um, there was a lady called Janet, who was a principal consultant, who was, you know, was amazing, worked closely with her and learned a lot from her. But also they had a branch, which was people change in that organisation and where they did a lot of behavioural change work, psychometric testing and then working with teams to build better teams in the customer experience environment and and improving customer experience by improving the team so the whole link between employee engagement and customer satisfaction was very new in those days um when did I graduate was that 2001 or you know just a bit after that right and it was very kind of new and we were working with like the likes of T-Mobile and um, at that time credit card companies to just get the model of behavioral change in and how to build contact centers which um, were hugely motivated and very customer friendly and do a lot of that work so I was still like the foot in through that whole kind of the psychological aspect but also you know marrying together that commercial aspect so we did a lot of that work do you know what I wasn't totally I think what was really frustrating was you'd go in and you do a piece of work, do the analysis, do the recommendation, get all the interviews together and do the recommendation. But you never saw really the um, what happened afterwards the outcome. or the implementation yep. or the outcome. <laughs> and that was the bit that I felt I missed. And so I applied for the job at um, British Gas, which wasn't, I didn't start off as head of customer experience and insight. That was through moving up the career ladder at British Gas. It was a manager level role. Yeah, and started out um, in that manager level role in a huge, you were a small cog in a huge organisation, but learned a lot because they had huge discipline around getting, you know, all the kind of processes and um, systems and teams in in place. Um, But you had to really find your voice there quite male dominated as well in in terms of the areas that I worked in and um, very level driven I remember starting out and I might have been like I don't know the levels range from one to nine or something like that level one to nine and I might have been even like level I don't know even what level I was but some guy came up to me in the canteen and asked me what level I was why, why, why do people? Yeah, that was serious? the first conversation I had with <laughs> one of my matter? colleagues because I've been. How are you? Why does that matter? Because I've been, I'd been in a meeting, and I'd asked a question. Quite, you know, I might have asked. I don't know, in my mind, it might have been, you know, a, a, an objective question, but I think he found that a challenging question. And so afterwards, he felt the need to just question my level because he didn't feel yeah, that I should have been, you know, I should have been there speaking up. That was, you know, that that was the first, oh, I guess, tasting, <laughs> knowing, you know, knowing that um, actually I have to assert myself, place. I have to kind of find my voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so 
do you know what I I know again you know the teams I worked in a brilliant team we had fun and I'd been and there were different managers in the time but they were all hugely supportive but I I think I'm just a heads down and prove through the delivery in those years just actually I'll, I'll show you what I can do by working hard and um, you know delivering to the best quality I can um, and I did that a lot and I think and, and then actually I had opportunities to join um, some really interesting projects working with other consultants and it was one big transformation project with um, McKinsey and um, worked closely with the people there actually my director at the time said actually we'd love it if some of our you know some of our managers could get some experience from these guys and opened up an, an opportunity around um, a secondment um, at McKinsey I'd always said yes to any opportunity. I'd never oh, really yeah. looked into the job description or, or kind of like, can I do it or question that? Because actually the moment you do that in an organization like that, someone else is there. And, um, and it took Absolutely. me time also to understand, you know, and, and, and to understand how these opportunities come about because I loved working at Prishkas. It's a great environment, but actually there was, in, in the area I worked in, there was quite a closed network, I'd say, of managers who were, who want, who were wanting to get into this kind of head level. And so they were busy establishing relationships while I was busy delivering. And I, that was, I guess that was my weak, weakness at that point. I just, I didn't really kind of, kind of, that wasn't in my radar, you know, in, in that time. And then I'd be like, oh, how can how can that person's on on that course over there or or they've got that opportunity over there and they were really closed doors as well and so yeah I had to get out and start building relationships and feel yeah, comfortable so and confident yeah yeah absolutely and then um, yeah and so I yeah so I had this opportunity at McKinsey and also to part in their mini and um, they have these this these kind of mini MBA programs for um as induction for their graduate programs as well so worked with totally different mindsets there which was great and then came back to British Gas I don't I can't quite remember how I managed to get that head of customer experience and insight <laughs> role but it was a combination being in the right place at the right time I guess applying for it and um being supported and coached as well to do it yeah it was quite it's quite it's a difficult place to work because it is hugely results driven so if you're not that way inclined and um you knew that also in a place like British Gas every two years they're looking at their people and going who's performing who's not we might be going through a cost-cutting you know phase and so there's there is that brutalness around it in that your performance does mean that you you know you get you keep the job but you yeah. can't worry about that too much you can only think actually these are my goals and I'm just going to nail them <laughs> you know exactly and I guess what it does is if you're not motivated in in that way then is it the right place you know is it the right place for you but I think the bit that I miss around an organization like that is that if you want to develop yourself you you, you can because um They've got good structure around development, around coaching, around um, what it takes to be a leader, and 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 if you want to get on a course and help round yourself off, then I learned loads during my time at British Gas and taking advantage of anything going, but um, and also 
outside of the job you know they you know they provide lots of kind of online learning as well um so I, I learned a lot during during that time and um fantastic yeah and had some good role models as um who were directors who were leading in a way which I felt actually I'd love to do it that way and I think I've been quite lucky through my time and my career in that there have been good role models around me and and also not so good role models where you go I really don't want to yeah. be like that person over there yeah you, know? you need both ends <laughs> yeah. of the spectrum don't you <laughs> yeah 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 and also I think um having worked in management consultancy and being through that whole psychometric testing and that whole self-awareness around my weak point my, my blind spots and um areas of my strength and you know totally knowing that this is who I am, these are my strengths, but I'm not great at some of these aspects over here. And, and uh, yeah. when I meet that, I know that I need someone to help me with that or I need to work doubly hard yeah. to, kind of, you know, <laughs> to uh, bridge the gap a little bit this as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's an element of that. And then when the um, director opportunity came across at Harlequins and my friend forwarded me the job ad, it was a huge step up. But I thought, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Let I'll apply for it, you know, and I love rugby. It's the job that I'm doing now in a totally different sector, in a different level, but I wanted to get to that level. So I need to know what I'm missing in, in what's the gap. Yeah. And so the worst that can happen is that I don't get it and I get learnings and feedback from it. Yeah, I applied for it and I got it. And you got it. <laughs> I got it. And it was um, it was really intimidating. I just remember there was one where it was like you had to meet uh, the senior team and, you know, and there were about eight eight people there and you were joining almost like the senior meeting and um, knowing nothing about the inner workings. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I thought, you know, at, at that point, I thought I'm gonna just going to be myself as much as I can um because actually do you know what at British Gas I don't think I was an authentic leader as as myself you know and that I felt there was a way that you had to be you know for a long time Mm. when I look back there was a model of leadership that they prescribed to that you knew that if you tick those boxes and hit those you know that point that that's that's how I'll sail through but it never quite when I look back, actually, you know, it was never quite authentic to me. Yeah, so I think I just thought... It takes time, doesn't start. it, to find your authenticity as a leader? Yeah, I think it does. Um, absolutely, it absolutely does. maybe, to be your authentic self. Yeah, confidence. You need to be in the right culture and place, which also makes it okay to not get the right answer, to go wrong to you know um to ask those you know stupid questions and feel that it's okay to do that you know and uh, actually just getting yeah. something wrong and getting upset and having made mistakes doesn't mean that it reflects on who you are and how you perform so I think there's something around um the psychological safety of 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 the culture as well yes um, and how you create that as a leader as well and being able to ask the right questions without I think leading the answer 
and having a prescribed view and fixed way of how things work as well. What was nice about Harlequins, it was a smaller organisation, um, so it was a smaller uh, leadership team, but huge that meant huge opportunity to get involved in in everything. Um, and also a very young team as well, so people who were early on in their careers. And, yeah, it was a huge, yeah, huge change for me. And whilst I was totally passionate about sport, about what I do, you know, it was so open to moving on with the change and wanting us to kind of be great at delivering a match day experience that was leading in, in the sector. Um, but maybe the team weren't quite ready for it, I'd say. And um, and right. also I didn't work enough. Maybe I could have worked better if I look back actually on that whole kind of cross-collaboration people in their directorates were quite close you know close and this is what we do you guys do this over here yeah. but actually we you know we're a really close team so we eventually did try and kind of join join things up but the ownership the responsibility I think for the first time I felt that whole oh my gosh I my ownership responsibility where the buck stops with you and that whole kind of feeling of um <gasps> um and um yeah. but also wow I've got I've you know I've got the ability to shape and change the organization Absolutely. from the top it's hugely exciting but also hugely quite quite overwhelming in in you know in the first days as well it was great moving from a big beast of an organization to a smaller one because you had so many tools in your toolkit that I took with me in terms of knowing how to put order and um, behind a vision and getting people were open to creating the vision, a, d- a different vision, a different mission and getting the toolkit together to get people behind it was really exciting. The And actually, you know, a product where you feel the supporter experience as well on the match day when you can see immediately actually whether you're doing a good job or a bad job or a actually we need you know you need to get a bit better over there and um it's, it's amazing to get that instant feedback from your supporters absolutely i think one of the struggles is that um i think one of the, yeah and one of the struggles is just that it's something like rugby people are so emotionally invested in it you know so emotionally invested in their team and in the results that you can create the best experience ever <laughs> If we lose on that match, or the worst day, experience, then, yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there, there is always like a level of um, dependency on uh, what's happening on on pitch as well, and and that exactly. became quite exhausting because ahead of every match day, knowing are we going to win, lose, or draw, can can create quite a big um, yeah. atmosphere in in the office and and across the work that you do. Um, but if you're going, if you're on a winning streak, great. It's like everything's going great, and you know, optimism's there, and we can do whatever we can do, you know. And so there, there's a there is a massive cycle to sports. I think if you work in football or rugby, or you know, and, and you're working at that that le- at that level of a on match days. But yeah, so it's difficult because from... you're sort of basing it on the unknown, aren't you? You don't know if they're going to win or they're going to lose. Yeah, so it's beyond like your control. For both scenarios. Mm. Totally, you can only control. You can only control. You know what what you can, and um, and exactly. so you've got to prepare for both scenarios, as as you say, and have the comms ready for both scenarios. And 
and also wet weather, <laughs> dry weather. I think think back to it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. There's so many things that you just <laughs> can't control that can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. The match day when you're queuing outside under rain, you know, in in the rain to get a burger and chips, and the, the queue time is uh, <laughs> is minutes versus seconds. There's just uh, yeah, it makes a huge difference as well. Yeah, I think that it does. What was great also is walking that real supporter experience like experiencing the you know it in re, you know real life you can touch it you can see it you can kind of breathe it whereas gas and electricity i mean you don't want to get in touch with them um, it's a bit gas different electricity supplier unless unless you've got a problem or you know yeah so exactly. it's different yeah for sure it's so interesting that you've worked you know you started off in a smaller management consulting uh, consultancy you went to british gas then you went back to a smaller organization with harlequins and then samaritans and i think it's it just allows you to just build such an all-round set of skills, doesn't it? Because, as you say, the skills that you develop in a small company, you're wearing so many hats, you just get stuck in. And in a bigger organization, you're more focused, but you have access to all of these other facilities and opportunities. And then, yeah, to be able to, you know, to implement all of those at a more senior level at Harlequins and then take it to Samaritans, it's it's fantastic. I think it's really important for people to think about the breadth that a, co- that a company or a role can give you and not always go for the big names, but to go for organizations that can generally develop you as a, as, a, as a whole. For those that are listening and have been really inspired by your story and, and especially your story at, at Samaritans and what you do there, what advice would you give maybe a young person starting out who wants to work in a charity or somebody who's later on in their career who wants to transfer into the charity sector? What advice would you give them? I would say um, go for it. The experience that you have, if, if you've been working, um, if it's a career change, the experience that you have, the sector needs it, you know, and um, I think we need a good mix of people with depth in the sector but also broad broad experience from outside the sector. We need to be challenged all the time. And that comes from having diverse melting pot of skills and ability. So go for it, apply for it. Speak to someone, and it might, it might be someone that you don't know. Just approach someone with that same job title in an organization that you're close yeah. to or someone in that in that organization. They'll, I mean, we're so open as, as a sector. And we really, you know, really want to help. And I think if you're starting out in your career, do you know what? It took me a long time to get to the point of marrying my my own purpose, you know, with my skills and um, what I've got to offer and, and that whole kind of motivation. If you're starting out in your career and you want to join the sector, it's amazing because immediately the values and purpose of the organization and in this sector whichever organization it is that you're joining you're making a huge difference every day that's really hard to get in in anyone's career I think so that's that's the first yeah. I don't know in, in terms of job satisfaction and enjoyment that that's first point you might start off in one area and you might have skills to start off in one area but I think in the charity sector, we're really, you know, in, in Samaritans especially, really open to making sure that we don't lose people, we don't lose good people, and 
just look for jobs and broaden yourself. Maybe if you're not set on that that particular area, broaden yourself, apply for internal moves to get that broad experience across the charity. Because I think at the end of it, when you move either either across or even if you're moving up up levels, the broader you have across charity sector, the more valuable you become. Because not, you know, whereas actually I think in, in the commercial sector, you can be quite focused on, on, on one, one discipline. Although generalists exist, I think in charity, you've got more opportunity to have that generalist um, skill set as well and then feel honed in. And then you might find your home somewhere. Yeah, I think there's always opportunity across the sector. Identify mentor as well, you know, as you kind of get your foot in through the door. Um, you might find leaders or, you know, or colleagues who actually you like their style of working, you like what they, you know, how, how, what they deliver, or, you know, how they work and um, just approach them and, and look into whether it can work on a two-way process. I think there's as much support as you can get um, in your team. Be brave. And, it, and also, I think for both career starters and um, career changers is that there's, there, there is, I think everyone experiences imposter syndrome in, in, in their career. And I don't think it's um, restricted to, you know, anyone. I think everyone Sector. does, if they're mm. honest, in that, that, yeah, and that whole um, feeling uncomfortable it's good. It's good to feel uncomfortable. It I think is. it means that something is changing. And as long as you're aware of it, actually, I'm feeling uncomfortable here and the, and, and just start working through why and, you know, and, and, and start to get, get planned around it. Feel uncomfortable. Yes. And um, because it means you're out of your up. comfort zone and you're learning. Yes. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I don't think... I've never applied for a job where I've gone, I'm a hundred percent match for that. And and I'm very open as well in being in that interview and going, I'm I just don't have these aspects here, but I'm totally you know, I I am all over this bit here and, and this is what I can bring you. I love um, that you've yeah. said that. I really do. Because I tell my clients that why would you why would you apply for a job that is a hundred percent match? Because you're not gonna learn anything. You're going to, you know, no. where's the motivation then yeah. for actually coming in to learn? There's got to be a bit of a gap of, of knowledge for you to, to want to actually join that company in the first place. I'm so glad that you're saying this and you're definitely, you know, the success story of taking that, that brave approach, actually. So you've given some great advice. You've told us fantastic stories about your career. So what's next for you? I think... The two, the two and a half days and three day, the job share. There's, there's still, I, I think I still feel that in my role, there's still opportunity. I think even just doing this job share with Kizzy has actually almost um, changed to change, changed in terms of opportunity in itself. In that actually, it's freed my headspace, and Kizzy's, you know, lifting a lot of heavy work on some of the other areas to kind of be really focused on some really exciting projects. But also, I think for the organisation, in terms of what's next, we have for Samaritans over the last two years, we've always we've been on this kind of precipice of, wow, we've really been successful over the last last four or five years we've doubled our income what will it take to get to that next level because we've got a great brand and great awareness 
people know the brand know actually and have empathy people have empathy for um you know the challenges and people struggling and so the whole i think excitement and for me is how am i going to be part of this kind of next journey on helping the team to do that next step transformation on really realizing where we can get to in terms of engaging supporters at scale because we should you know we should be able to do that and get get people behind that I think for me that means um, I need to be on on top of learning outside of the sector on actually the the challenges with um, and opportunities with digital with AI with also and what that means for how we engage supporters but also all the different channels in, in the mix and and with the way that supporters are changing and changing their behaviours. I think there's so much still to do here, but I, I always have things outside of work as well. So I'm um, a school governor as well. And so that I'm still learning in, in terms of working with a school on the challenges and opportunities around doing the best for children at that school and education sector and um, how we can always do, you know, you know, always kind of deliver best for children's kind of emotional, academic and social happiness at school as well. So I've always got something on as well as the kids and uh, <laughs> the home, home exactly. life. Um, so also all the things outside of work that makes you a whole and makes you that kind of um, person again bring the bring the best I think in into work. But make sure you get enough sleep. That's as well. As well, well uh, yes, you've got to do this within <laughs> the confines important. of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't. I mean, I'd, I I'll be honest. Probably in the early days, work ethic to me meant that you know, let's work all hours that you can to just prove that yeah. you can do the job. But actually, now it is just what what's your balance and what's your tolerance and what's what's your zone of um, well being. So you're well at work, you're well at home, and you're feeling that you're um yeah you know, you're 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 firing on all cylinders as well. Exactly. It's so important. It really, really is. Listen, Wendy, you have been a fantastic guest. I've absolutely loved talking to you. And your job at the Samaritans is not done. So very best of luck. I really look forward to seeing how it all evolves uh, in the the public eye. So very best of luck. Thank you so much again for joining me. And I hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening to Career Stories from the Field. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends. I've got many great guests still to come in this series, so make sure you follow the podcast so you don't miss out. Okay, well, until next time, bye for now.